Good morning. I'm Nancy Leffler, and together with my husband Dan, we founded Being With Grief to meet the grief we experienced when our daughter Leah died in November of 2000. Her death provided a doorway that transformed our lives in ways that we never expected. Now we help others to navigate their grief. Our passion is having difficult conversations around grief and helping the people we work with find meaning, purpose, and joy again so they can fully participate in their lives. Join us for today's conversation and help us build community. Welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan, where conversations build community. Our Monday Morning Conversations are meant to create a safe space where respectful dialogue is encouraged. Our intention is to promote understanding by listening when having difficult conversations. We hope to offer you resources as you travel your personal journey. Good morning. You're listening to... Our Dirty Deeds. (laughs) (laughs) Not what we intended, but... Today... um, you're listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan on Frogtown Community Radio, WFNU uh, LP on 94.1 FM. Today, our show is dedicated to our daughter, Leah. We'll share some of the stories that uh, uh, we have and the lessons that we learned from her and the insights that we continue to receive as we navigate our own grief journey. Over the weekend, um, Nancy and I were talking about what would have been Leah's 40th um, birthday and thinking about some of the songs that were popular at the time. This one has special meaning for us. It's a song by Green Day called Good Riddance, or We Hope You Have the Time of Your Life. Take a listen. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Sun grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go.
That song, especially the part that uh, speaks to hoping that she had the time of her life, was something that helped get me through the time in our lives when we lost her. And 23 years ago um, became something that on every anniversary uh, we recall the emotions, the memories, and the love that we felt for, for her and still feel as a part of our everyday process. Welcome to the show, and um, thank you for being part of it. As Dan said, last Friday, April 28th, was Leah's birthday, and she would have turned 40. And all year I had been watching her friends post about turning 40 and thinking that, hmm, I guess that means Leah will be turning 40 sometime this year, too. And at the, at the beginning of April, uh, I, I noted another friend turning 40, and I thought, wow, it's not sometime at the end of this year, it's at the end of this month. And it really hit me harder than I expected it to hit me. Uh, I say that, and I don't know why I say that, because listening to us talk and listening to us share our story, you may think that we have moved past the point of grieving for Leah, and that that's not true at all, especially on milestone days like her birthday, and Dan mentioned the anniversary of, of her death, and, and other days that um, were important to us. And so as we were talking about our show this weekend, we always do every Saturday morning, we have um, put down ideas about the upcoming show. We, we already had a topic and we sat down to finalize it and we both looked at each other and we said this t today's show has to be dedicated to Leah and we have to share some of what it means to grieve for uh, our daughter after almost 23 years and share some stories about her that that, that song that Dan played was one that um, I listen to often, especially if I hadn't cried for a while and needed to, because that always, always got me there. And one of the ways that I stayed connected to her early on is that uh, driving to work every morning, she would send me songs. I, um, I had a fairly long drive, and I was usually driving in the dark, at least for part of the year, which helped, because in those first, um, I don't know, months, maybe years, I cried every day on the way to work, and I would often hear songs from her, and some songs that I, I had never heard before, but I knew by the way I, they made me feel that they were messages from her and um, a way to stay connected to her. And as Nancy said, this uh, weekend brought up a lot of feelings and emotions and for some reason you know the idea of Leah turning 40 just really hit me hard and we've talked about you know some of the events and things that um, would have occurred you know had she been all the what-ifs and if-onlys that uh, you think about um, 
And I found that um, going back and listening to songs like um, Good Riddance, which is a terrible name for a song that um, was originally meant as a breakup song, uh, but what, as many songs are, of open to interpretation and putting yourself in um, the speaker's or the singer's uh, mindset, the words had a very strong impact on us. And so many of the songs that were in rotation at that time held special meaning for us. One that was really potent for me was uh, a song by Paul Simon called Father and Daughter. And he talks about the love that he had for his daughter and that he's going to stand guard uh, over her like a golden retriever. <laughs> and, le- and she had a golden retriever. And, <laughs> and uh, her golden retriever, named Mabel, was uh, a big part of um, our healing um, as I would uh, share with Mabel the um, stories that uh, were part of uh, my grieving process. And it was uh, a, a comfort to know that um, here was that uh, unconditional uh, fur ball of love that uh, you know spent so much time with her. And, and Mabel and Willow, our other dog, both dogs, who always slept in her room, slept in her bed for the longest time. Uh, we, we didn't take her room apart for, I don't, I don't remember how long now, but until we did, Mabel and Willow always slept in her room, if not on her bed. <laughs> and there were other songs, too, that... Um, um, well, I, before you mention them... There were, were other songs that were popular at that time, but I want to talk about how I knew those were messages from mm-hmm. Leah. Uh, the very, very first song that I heard that was a message from her was My Girl. And mm-hmm. when she was a little girl, we used to sing that to her, and she would dance, and we would laugh, and it was a, um, a special memory. And so the first song that I heard on the radio that I knew was a message from Leah was my girl, and it just, it just, it was like as if it was she was singing it right into my heart, and I just started crying. Again, this was on, on the way to work in the morning, and after that, I would receive a, mes- uh, a message and a song from her just about every day, and one of the other first ones was, I Hope You Dance, um, by Sarah McLaughlin, and Wow, um, that was really, I was still in the very, very early stages of my grief, and to be able to know that these messages and songs were coming from Leah were very special. Yeah, that uh, brings up, you know, the My Girl, where she would stand on the tops of my shoes and we would dance <laughs> around the uh, the living room, and um, and now... Uh, we find great joy in dancing with our granddaughter. It's a wild kind of crazy dance that uh, um, can be done with or without music (laughs) Uh, because she is uh, just wide open to all of the 
stimulus and input that uh, we can give her. And it is another gift that we have received. And, and on Friday, we, we were with her. And so we, we had a little birthday party for Leah with, with Aria singing. She loves to sing Happy Day, as she says. So we sang Happy Birthday. And after we were all done, and we shared a couple of we talk about Leah with her often, and she recognizes uh, Aunt Leah's photographs. But afterwards, she looked at us and she said, I really love Aunt Leah. And it was just, uh, wow, just right yeah. to our hearts. Some, some fun things. And um, like Nancy said, you know, we, we still grieve, you know, 23 years after the fact. Um, uh, I posted on Facebook that, uh, you know, my eyes were leaking at one point uh, this past weekend. and um, More than one point. It's, uh, you know, to, to be open and vulnerable and say as a guy um, that this is really a meaningful way of connecting with her and hopefully connecting with all of you out there to say that you are not alone in your grief and that the things that are important are these conversations so that we break down the barrier of communication that keeps us from reaching one another and um, building that community that we often talk about uh, here in St. Paul. Uh, a couple of the other uh musical uh, treats that uh, we have is uh, Pinch Me, which was a a funny song that um, um, when she was uh, alive and with us, we would sing because she liked the line, I just made you say underwear. And if you ever listen to that uh, Bare Naked Ladies song, you'll know what uh, I'm talking about. And having a good laugh and being able to bring um, joy into this conversation and the smile that I got from Nancy when I mentioned that was uh, was definitely worth it. Yeah, and <clears throat> we listened to a lot of these songs th- this weekend, and, and I haven't listened to them for a really long time. Um, and they evoke the m- memories of what it was like to be in early grief, and I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I, I just like you. When I'm feeling that grief, I, I want it to go away. And, and yet, I've learned that in order to, I can't make it go away. I need to be with those feelings so that I can move through them, rather than st- stuffing them down or distracting myself the distraction works for a little while and then the feelings get loud enough where they demand my attention and they they um take me into a place where i am able to feel them and i am able to receive the gifts that um are there that that i receive every year on leah's birthday or throughout the year, I, really, every time I'm, I'm able to feel the 
the raw grief, the raw feelings, whatever they are, I'm, I receive blessings and, and grace. And this year, I think one of them was Aria proclaiming her love for Leah because it really touched my heart and made me grateful that we're able to be here with her. But and th- th- throughout the years, it brought up some of the um, some of the things that we did, some of the ways that we marked um, her birthday or other times. One of the first things we did was on the first birthday after she died, which was would have been her 18th. We held a remembrance gathering in our backyards and invited our backyard. We only had one. Invited our friends and hers. And we um, made prayer bundles um, for her and hung them on our trees outside. And we did a a poem, um, a collaborative poem, and really helped everybody to come together and share memories of Leah, which was really important to her friends and ours. And looking back on on the pictures of that day reminds us that we were already, even though we weren't doing this work, we were already stepping into our ministry of grief work. That afternoon that um, probably 20 or more people in our house to celebrate that 18th birthday um, was a time that had mixed emotions. Uh, There were uh, smiles among the tears and um, as Nancy mentioned um, we tried to incorporate some ceremony into the sharing of stories uh, that at that time we had hadn't a clue of, of some of the exploits that uh, our young daughter had been on. And those kept revealing um, themselves to us now over the years as we reconnect with uh, her friends, as we um, check in on their lives, uh, some of the stories that uh, we want to tell you today about um, things that touched us and come back and make us smile. Uh, Because while grief does um, have an element of sadness, um, and um, we were talking about uh, this at a party that we recently attended, um, there comes a time in your grief where there is a point where you make a decision on how you are going to go forward um, and how that loss is going to affect the rest of your life. And for us, um, as we have mentioned over you know the number of programs that we've shared with you, um, it came at different times for each of us. And making that commitment to that decision and going back to it, um, the repetition and reinforcement of saying yes to the possibility that your healing is uh, available to you 
uh, becomes something that uh, I marvel at uh, even now as I say it, that grief, while it is a human experience, um, is something that you can learn to, to balance with the rest of your life. And I, I think that, that that still point of making the decision that you mentioned comes often. Every time you, uh, every time I am taken back into that really deep pool of, of grief that I really have never been able to completely explain. But every time I'm there, I need to make that decision again. And when I, the, the the sooner I make the decision to engage the feelings, to be with the feelings, the sooner I am moved out of it, moved through it, receive the blessings and grace that I talk about. So it's, it's, that's the way I do it. And as you know, Dan and I talk about everybody meeting their grief in, in their own way. Um, but as we were talking about some of the things, some of the ways that we marked uh, Leah's memory, um, you know, I, I, I got a tattoo to mark the first anniversary of, of, of her death. And she had, she was 17 when she died, and she asked me if I would sign for her to get a tattoo before she was 18. And I said, absolutely not. You know, you're not getting a tattoo. I'm not signing for you to get a tattoo. And yet, <laughs> less than, or a little more than a year later, here I was getting one in, in her memory, and I, I could just hear her laughing at me. Uh, she always used to say, Mom, lighten up. And I, I would say, okay, I'm, I'm lightening. Um, but I, I got a, a tattoo on my, on my um, ankle that's a shooting star because, to me, that's what one of the things that sh she is. She burned brightly when she was here, and she was gone way too soon. So Leah is my shooting star. Another thing I did was about a year or so, maybe even uh, about a year or so after she died, we were living in Frederick, Maryland at the time, and they were having an inaugural marathon. And I was working with a personal trainer at the time, and she asked me if I wanted to run um, a leg of the uh, relay with her. And I said, no, I'm not a runner. I'm not going to do that. And she said, well, how about if you do it to honor your daughter? And it was like, okay, <laughs> you're going to play that card, huh? So I, I trained with her, and I still don't say I've, I've become a runner because it was it, it was um, not some. It still is not something that I truly enjoy. I enjoy walking, um, just not running. But I did. I, I ran the leg, the first leg of the um, relay in the inaugural Frederick Marathon, and it was in March, and it snowed. I was running in the snow. And it was cold. <laughs> so we have pictures of me with big, fat, ploppy snowflakes on my face, on my hair. And I was smiling. <laughs> but I did it for Leah. There's, and so it showed me that with the right motivation, I could do things that um, I had never done before. And some of those things have become meaningful and have become... Um, a regular part of my life and those stories uh, you know I was at the finish line as you uh, came 
I won't say bouncing across the finish line. Definitely wasn't bouncing at that Any, point. Anything but um, that was uh, one of the times when I wanted to have a great big warm blanket wrap you up. And uh, we did continue uh, the celebration uh, along with the other participants uh, on, our, on the team. Uh, back at the house and warmed everyone up and sent them on their way. Fed us all with good food. But um, that day I will remember as um, one that, like you said, um, they played the the card that motivated you to uh, get up, mm-hmm. you know, get your running shoes on and head out into the cold dreary day to uh, and you know isn't that what grief is is like you know um, getting up in on a cold dreary day um, to face something that uh, you didn't really want to face but you were there anyway and and you got through it right Um, one of the uh, other stories and there are many stories uh, was how proud that uh, she was when she got her first uh, job. Um, yeah, you know, high school student who wanted to make some money so that she could inv- uh, afford uh, to do a shopping trip at the uh, at the mall. You know, uh, which was uh, one of her favorite uh, activities. Um, she got a job working at the Middletown Dairy Bar which uh, sold ice cream, and the first time that, uh, which was in a gas station that was, you know, down in the valley uh, from our house, and we made the trek down there, and she was just so proud that um, she could make an ice cream cone for her mom and for her dad and put extra sprinkles on it because, after all, this was her job, and uh, she was giving us something. And, you know, she continues to give us these gifts. Um, yes, they're in the form of memories, but they are things that, uh, you know, make us smile and um, bring back that warm, sunny um, Maryland afternoon when, um, you know, we shared time together. And got extra sprinkles. Yeah, got extra sprinkles. What more can you ask for? And, and that was something that was uh, um, also uh, happened this past weekend. Um, our condo association had an ice cream, <laughs> ice cream social. social. And um, ice cream held a special place in uh, Leah's life. And um, uh, I think she got that from me. Uh, with this ice cream social... Uh, I have to admit, I had uh, ice cream for myself, and I had her favorite, mint chocolate chip. <laughs> yeah. Um, her, her birthday cakes when she was f- about age 10 on were all some form of an ice cream cake that I always made. I always made all of the birthday cakes. And w- when she found out that I could make a cake out of ice cream, she was just thrilled because that was her favorite part anyway so she didn't have cake and ice cream she had cake that was ice cream (laughs) Uh, and um, some of the things 
too that uh, you know we hope that by hearing some of these stories about her as a young girl and, and as a young woman will um, make uh, your day um, a little lighter. Um, one of the things that um, happened, oh, probably when she was five or six, maybe six or seven, was uh, she showed up at our door carrying a bouquet of flowers. And uh, it was a beautiful, you know, arrangement of things that uh, she had picked. And when we asked her, where did you find these? Where did these come from? She looked rather sheepishly and said, uh, I picked them from down the street. Oh, down the street where? <laughs> and that was about the time when our neighbor comes running up the hill <laughs> with a look on her face like, do you know what your daughter did? And uh, she had gone flower picking in, uh, in our neighbor's garden. And uh, which was a really nice sentiment, but it uh, kind of upset the neighbor. Uh, and um, as uh, a way of repaying and restitution, um, she went and helped uh, do some gardening in the neighbor's yard. Now, yeah. the neighbor wasn't upset, um, but she wanted to let us know that uh, it was uh, our daughter that had, you know, had done this. And uh, it, I, again, it's a funny memory now for us um, as you know, parents then. We were probably abashed yeah. and um, didn't quite know what to make of it. But thinking back on it now, what a beautiful um, present it was for her to think that... Uh, I think mom needs some flowers today. Yeah. <laughs> Another time uh, I received flowers was it was after she had died um, several years. I think it was around Mother's Day. And I, um, I went out to the mailbox, and there was a lilac in there. And lilacs are one of my favorite flowers. And at the time, we were living in, again, Frederick, Maryland, and there were no lilac bushes in our neighborhood. I knew that for a fact. <laughs> Yet I walked around the neighborhood, walked around several blocks to look for a lilac bush because how else would I explain a lilac in my mailbox? And I never did find the lilac bush, uh, but I definitely had, had the lilac. And that just reminded me that the our miracles um, in the blessings and grace that, that we receive. I think it's a miracle that we are here almost 23 years later and not only still alive, but thriving and um, living our best lives. That, to me, is the biggest miracle um, and gift of saying yes to my grief journey. And sharing these stories and giving uh, others uh, insight into, you know, the type of person that she was, who was always very caring and um, 
again, the stories that came out after she died through her friends, through her brother, through um, people who, uh, you know, her friends' parents that um, we've connected with and shared some of the stories, uh, just continues to um, you know, to help us um, see her in a different light for the person that and light that she was. And and we we have no qualms about the fact that she was a 17 year old teenager and did 17 year old teenager things. Um, and for me, for a while, that was one of the the hardest things to get through because I thought that I was going well I I do I think of her as a 17 year old girl whenever I think about her and yet I also have reconnected with her now in spirit and and I I, I've um, received many many messages and gifts from her as a matter of fact when I was at 9-11 which was um, not quite a year after she died I came home from work and I was walking Mabel um, which I did every day when I came home from work and I would talk to Mabel about Leah as well. I would talk to Leah at that time, actually. Sometimes I would talk to Mabel, but that would be my time for talking to Leah. And um, I started talking to her, and the message I received immediately was, not now, Mom, I'm busy. And I just recently had a, um, a session with um, with a medium, and she told me that one of, one of the things that Leah does is to help souls who have died in a traumatic way to cross over. So it was, um, I knew that at the time, at, right after 9-11, um, because of that message. And yet, receiving confirmation of it after all these years was just, it really touched my heart. So all these feel-good stories are, um, Making a smile as we as we share them, and mm. one of my favorites, and one of the things that um, I still have to this day is the fashion police badge <laughs> that um, uh, I gave to her at, um, at at one point, and I don't know where I came across this this badge, but um, for those of you who know me, uh, I am uh, colorblind. And um, there have been times when Leah would look at me and the, what I had on, and she said, "No, Dad, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go out wearing that." You know. So my color choices uh, were always subject to approval, um, and um, she. I, I smile about it now because at the time um, Nancy and uh, Leah shared that responsibility, and it's not as bad as maybe wearing um, uh, socks with sandals. But <laughs> uh, I have been known to wear some uh, pretty bad combinations, and thankfully uh, she kept me on the the right path. <laughs> yeah, she even offered to go out shopping with you one time so that you would buy things that were only approved by her yeah yeah i can still you know mentally see the eye roll that she would give me like oh dad not not again 
you know, go back to your room. You're not going out with that. <laughs> uh. You're listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan on Frogtown Community Radio, WFNU-FM 94.1. If you have a question for us or would like to share a memory of your, of your own loved one, our phone number is 651-313-5125. So what other stories do we have that we can... Uh... Well, after... Uh, after Leah died, um, and she, for, I don't know if we mentioned specifics, but she hit a tree in the middle of a cornfield uh, on her way to school, and you drove by the accident site one time and saw her, um, her friends gathered there, and so you stopped and talked to them, and then you invited them over to her house, and one of the things that they did was to put together some collages for her memorial service. And they also um, asked if they could come back at some point to sit in her room. And we said yes, because why not? Yeah. We didn't have a, a, a road map to show us how to do this. And... That is one of the things that um, I think we're most grateful for, that we had the presence of mind to continue to be open with her friends and share not only time together, but at some point, you know, um, her friends asked if they could, you know, have a favorite sweater or sweatshirt. Um, mm -hmm. uh, a ribbon, a hair ribbon. Earrings, um, yeah. You know, something that um, would be a reminder to them. And um, that was a, a difficult uh, request to fulfill, but it was one that um, it felt right in doing. Yeah, yeah. In those early days, we followed our intuition and our, and our gut, feelings a lot because as I said there was no roadmap for living a life without our daughter's physical presence and I often felt in those early days that I was grieving for my daughter in a way that was different than I ever thought it would not that I ever thought about it um, but I didn't think that I would be able to live my life and yet I was um, I was also very sad. There was a time when I did use distraction, um, mostly food, to keep me from feeling the feelings. And I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to see anybody. I, I isolated in those early days. And yet, having her friends call us, uh, hearing songs, um, the messages that, that I received from her were all part of the things that um, called us forward, called us into the life that we were living. I often described it as we were um, plopped in a country with customs and language that we didn't know, and we had to figure it out. And so 
We did. We eventually figured out the language of grief and the how to navigate the waters of grief. And we did it, I don't know that we did it in a smooth and, and easy way. I don't know that, that if that's even possible. But we did it. Is that That's the most um, important message here is that we did it. We figured it out. And I, I remember so clearly walking out of the hospital for the last time and driving home and thinking, how can I ever, how can my life continue after this day? And yet here we are 23 years later. And it wasn't, it, our lives continued moment by moment in those, in those early days, not even day by day. And I think you, that image of being in a country, not knowing the language, and yet knowing that the importance of having the, attempting the conversation, mm-hmm. attempting to try to get across that barrier of um, being able to communicate on a level that there was understanding on the part of uh, the other party and I think for her 20th um, mm-hmm. um, anniversary, anniversary of her death yeah. yeah it was the anniversary of her death we um, we had a zoom party for her and invited as many of the friends as we because it was 2020 <laughs> zoom was all the rage yeah that's true yeah we were in the middle of COVID and couldn't have a, a real gathering but uh, this virtual gathering brought together people that probably hadn't uh, uh, been together maybe ever yeah because we, we invited family and friends to share memories of Leah and we also invited anyone else who wanted to bring their loved one to um, the gathering and share memories of them and there were a few people who did that and that was another message that I received from her, that she wanted a party. And anyone who knew her knows that she was that kind of a bright spirit. She, she liked parties. And so we had one for her. And it, was, um, it touched us, again, in a way that we never expected that it would, as well as the people who were a part of it. And, you know, that brings to mind um, not to, to say that she enjoyed, um, you know, social gatherings. And it brings to mind the times when um, in her early days when we were a young family and getting together and having um, a church social party where um, people would gather for, you know, um, a Halloween um Party or an Easter egg hunt or um, uh, a Christmas bazaar. You know, she was always um, very excited about uh, spending time together and and dancing and and just having um, a a shared experience. And so, shared experiences, you know, have become important part of our um, uh, way of celebrating her life and that um, zoom party was was a special reminder of 
how those gatherings can really be special. Yeah. Another story that comes to mind is, and I, I write about this in my book, about there's more than one way to get to the park. When we lived in, in, in Riverdale, um, we lived close to Ivanhoe Park, um, and she was always being compared to her brother, who, who was very smart. She was smart, too, but in different ways, and she was always being compared uh, to him. Teachers w- would ask, why aren't you more like your brother? And so I told her, uh, I, I said, I told her there's more than one way to be successful, and yet at the time she was too young. I, I want that's the message I wanted to give her, but she was too too young to say it in exactly that way. So we would go to the park often, several times a week. So the next time we went to the park, I said, um, "Let's go this way." And so we started out under a different way than we normally did, and. Leah said, that's not the way to get to the park. And I said, just trust me, just, just let's just go for a walk. And so we went down streets that we didn't normally go down, and we got to see people that we didn't normally see. And she was having fun saying hi to some of her friends, and we eventually got to the park. And she said, how did we get to the park this way? And I said, because there's more than one way to get to the park. And that's a, a lesson that I take uh, about a lot of things. There's more than one way to be successful. There's more than one way to grieve. There's more than one way to do the things that you want to do. There's your way, and your way may be different than mine. My way may be different from Dan's or Peter's, and yet they're all, they're all valid for us. So just remember that there's more than one way to get to the park. When you are comparing yourself to someone or someone else is comparing you to someone else, there's more than one way to get to the park. And we can all do it in our own way. Yeah, that's uh, another one of those favorite stories that um, – hit home for me every time I, I hear you know, that story. Um, another one that um, was along similar lines, as, uh, as she grew up, the natural rebellion of um, getting up early on Sunday morning to head to church became more and more of a struggle. And I don't know if anybody out there has had a similar issue with their um, <coughs> teenager, but um, that became a struggle at times. So one Sunday, uh, I don't know why Nancy and Peter were doing something else or had gone to an earlier service, but I said, come on, Leah, we're going to go to go to church. And she gave me that eye roll. She said, uh, oh, okay. But not without a struggle. And I um, uh, got, in, got in the car, and I started um, driving. And the first part of the, the uh, trip was on the way to where our church was. But at uh, one point, I 
turned and I started heading up the hill and uh, it was like where are we going dad and I said you'll see and for those unfamiliar with um, uh, Frederick Maryland and um, where we lived at the time we lived on a a mount uh, one of the Appalachian um, mountain roads that um, look down one way into Frederick uh, Valley and the other town into Middletown Valley. And um, we got to the park that was at the top of the hill, looking down into the um, Middletown Valley, and you could see the church in the distance and the, uh, her high school and the dairy barn where she, uh, you know, where she worked. And she said, what are we doing here? And I said, we're going to church. And we just sat on the overlook, looking down into the valley on a beautiful day in stillness and opening um, just to the beauty of, of the day in a way of having gratitude and being present and it was one of the most meaningful and and powerful times that I think we shared um, together that um, has stuck with me and when I need to calm myself I think of the time when um, we sat uh, on a Sunday morning in the sunshine on a beautiful summer day and it brings me peace. So today, you know, Nancy and I agreed that um, honoring Leah's birthday with this show and dedicating it to her by sharing our story, by sharing her story, was the way that, uh, you know, we could hopefully lift some souls. I know it lifts mine. Because telling stories is the best way that we know to celebrate her life and to share a bit of who she was with you. And we're very grateful for that and for a very beautiful day. Nancy, can you uh, share with us something? Yes. Today for the inspiration, I want to read to to you a portion of uh, a chapter of my book, where I talk about Leah's birth. This is from Chapter 3, Holding On to Who You Are. Natural Birth. My contractions began at 10.30 p.m. on April 27, 1983. It was my second pregnancy. Since my first pregnancy was delivered by cesarean section, I didn't know what to expect from my labor. My doctor told me to expect my labor to be much like a first pregnancy. In 1983, a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean, felt like a revolutionary achievement. I gave birth to Leah naturally, without drugs, and without intervention. We had prepared for a natural birth in a birthing room with midwives when I was pregnant with my son in 1980. A car accident when I was eight and a half months pregnant took away the hopes of of a natural birth and designated me high risk in the eyes of many of the doctors involved in my second pregnancy. Dan sustained injuries in the accident and was unable to be with me for Peter's birth. 
We were at separate hospitals having separate surgeries, his to repair his heel, knee, and arm, and mine to have our baby. This experience was to be the first time Dan and I faced grief early in our marriage. We grieved not only for the birth experience that we had planned together, but also faced our own injuries as we welcomed our son into our family and began our lives together. We had to give up plans we had made for a very different kind of birth. We couldn't be the parents we wanted to be to Peter, at least not at the beginning of his life. At the time, I recognized it at grief, as grief. Years later, I wondered if it was yet another part of my preparation for my future work. I sought out a VBAC support group during my second pregnancy, and we prepared for that. Since I was considered high risk and had not yet met a home birth midwife, I found a doctor in our group practice who was comfortable delivering my baby vaginally after having had a cesarean section. When I saw him on April 26th, a Tuesday, he told me that if I wanted him to be at my birth, I had to either have my baby in the coming weekend or wait two weeks, as he was going on vacation the following Monday. Never one to put off until tomorrow what I could do today, I went home and did my prenatal exercises twice. Then I took a good long walk and told my baby that it was time for us to meet each other. When my labor started that night, I stayed in bed to get some sleep for a while. I wasn't sure if I was really in labor. When I could no longer sleep restfully, I knew that I was having real contractions. I got up and began walking again, bringing focus inside and breathing when my contractions came. My contractions were at the requisite five minutes apart by 7 a.m. I had just come out of the shower when Dan woke up and I told him it was time to go to the hospital. We hugged, dressed Peter, and headed out to drop him off at Grandma's as we made our way to the hospital located in downtown Chicago during rush hour. I felt calm. We had prepared well for this birth. I, it was the first time I had taken a stand for my body and chose what was best for me and my baby. I was admitted to the hospital and I gave them my birth plan, which my doctor had already signed. Dan and I were left alone for the most part because, as one of the attending doctors told us, no one wants to be around when your uterus ruptures. My doctor had already assured me that he had been around long enough to know that uteruses don't just rupture. That and the knowledge I had from my VBAC group gave me the confidence I needed to relax and let my body do what millions of women have done before me, to give birth naturally. Dan and I walked the halls during most of my labor, me resting on his shoulders and going within when the contractions came. Through my birth plan, I agreed to be monitored once an hour for five minutes, so we always made sure we were in our room at the appointed time. We were told that they would not come looking for us, and if we weren't there, I would have to have a monitor on me for the entire duration of my labor. I progressed well, and by late afternoon, I was fully dilated and ready to push. My doctor was there and had looked in on us a few times throughout the afternoon, so we headed to the delivery room. I was on the delivery table with Dan behind me, supporting me with his strong presence in between contractions. I soon had an undeniable urge to push. In awe of the power of that moment, I worked with my body to push out my baby, a girl, Leah. Our eyes locked in those first lucid moments. That moment is forever seared on my heart. Those deep, knowing eyes meeting mine for the first time, as if to say, 
Okay, here we go, as if we both knew what lay ahead for us on our journey. We continued to stare at each other as her dad cut the cord and handed her to me to nurse. Since she was born without drugs, we were both fully awake and fully present to each other. She latched on at once and began nursing immediately, assisting my placenta to be born. This birth experience did wonders to heal our first birth experience, the cesarean section, the birth that Dan was unable to attend. We longed for Peter to be to share in our joy. For the moment, though, it was the three of us getting to know one another. Dan and I smiled from ear to ear and held our beloved daughter. <laughs> it's all I can say. Uh, thank you for listening today as we've shared these stories. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity that uh, WFNU has given us to be part of the family here and to bring these stories to our audience. We remain grateful and in awe of um, the journey that um, has opened for us and hope that you join us uh, next time on Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan. Thank you for listening. Through our own journey, we know that it's possible to find meaning, purpose, and joy again after a loss. Join us each week as we share useful information to help you develop the skills necessary to meet grief when it enters your life and to show you the importance of having difficult conversations, even when you don't know how to start them. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at our website, beingwithgrief.com.